Good morning, Community Church. Good morning. Will you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15? We are in the second part of our series called Furious Love. Last week we talked about the younger brother, the uh, so-called prodigal son. Uh, This week we're going to focus on the older brother. I want to read the text again. Uh, So we'll read that three times, obviously, for next week also. But uh, follow along with me. Luke chapter 15, uh, verse 11. Jesus continued, and there was a man who had two sons. Jesus tells this story. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I'm starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father... I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. This son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, He shouted, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing, and so he called one of his servants and asked him, what's going on? The servant said, your brother has come home and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, You kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. Let's pray together for this morning uh, for the reading of scripture and uh, where we're heading this morning. God in heaven, we pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would do only that he can do, and that is complete the good work in us. Will the words from your revelation from Scripture uh, sink deep into our hearts and souls and change how we think, change how we live? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been in this series, Furious Love. It's sourced out of a a teaching break for me in uh, in the mountains of Colorado. There's only two people, like, excited about Colorado. Wow. Anyway, uh, it's a nice place. it came out of kind of that journey for me of recognizing the power of this story and then reading about three or four other books that, that unpack some of the depth to this idea of 
the Father's furious love pursuing us in Luke chapter 15. Now some backdrop about Luke chapter 15. First of all, Luke 15 is the entire chapter. We're only dealing with one of the stories. Jesus is responding to not really a question, but an indictment. Jesus is responding to a group of the religious right of the time. And, it's, and, and they basically mumbled and said, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This was common practice for Jesus. This was not uncommon for Jesus, but for the religious right. And let's, let's paint the picture of what that meant for religious right. It is, it is people who are doing all the right things religiously. We might have esteemed, if they were here this morning, we would probably lift them up. You would probably lift them up as people that you'd think are doing life like God wants them to do it. They're obeying all the right rules. They're not doing the bad things. This is the religious right of the time. Do you realize in the Gospels that Jesus speaks the harshest words, not to sinners, but to this group? Now, make no mistake that Jesus loves both parties, but Jesus is going to paint this picture, we're going to hear, really to illustrate the Father's love. That's really the second piece of this. There's three stories he's going to share in Luke 15 in response to this indictment. He's going to share about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and then eventually, as we're looking in verse 11 and on through 31, a lost son. It's going to give us some insight about the Father's furious love for both of his sons. Now, what we need to know is that when three, uh, the word, the number three is super important. We said it last week. In Jewish culture, three had what was called a, a, a triple somatic uh, uh, kind of emphatic promise. That, that meant, like in scripture, when it says holy, 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 it, it means that's permanent. Uh, if you said anything three times, if something was done to you three times, it became a part of who you are. It was a promise. It was, it was permanent. And so Jesus doesn't mistakenly just ramble off three stories. He's telling three stories to permanently share the character and nature of God. But he throws in this ending piece, which we're going to talk about today, about this older brother. He's going to shed some light, really, which Jesus could only do in preaching. He would, he would teach for short amounts of time, but able to touch everyone in, in the room. And that's really what God is asking for the scriptures to do this morning. No matter where you're at this morning, my hope and prayer is that we're all hit on some level. That we're all challenged and stretched. And this morning, maybe it's you're a prodigal or you're an older son. Um, and what you'll find in this story is in, an, in seasons of life, we find ourselves maybe in each of those places. But we get a character and picture of the Father. We can't forget the, the audience that Jesus is speaking to. It's his religious leaders. It's important that we know that. Because as Jesus unpacks this story, it would shock his listeners at the time. But last but not least, I want you to know his parents. And even his sons and daughters. This father, the story is not to talk about parenting in a good way and a bad way. It's simply this is a father's love that is shared equally amongst the sons and they go different directions. And friends, we don't have control for the decisions of our sons or daughters or our friends or family. And, and so to release, I know last week we talked about kind of feeling the freedom that it's not your fault if you have a son or daughter that's a prodigal. 
In fact, I would have to say in some of the story that we want our kids on some way to wander and to recognize that they need Jesus. As the story said, come to their senses. So this, this story about the younger brother we talked about last week was really the prodigal. And we talked about this, this whole need uh, for us to, we have a box that represents really our way. And, and it's kind of how we see the world and life. And, and remember, we talked about this verse before, every person lies a road that seems to be right, but its end is the way of death. We, we all grow up kind of thinking and understanding that we've got life figured out. And remember I said, it doesn't take long for a medical, a medical phone call or an email to happen. Hey, guess what? Here's what you have. We just heard of a friend this last week who's got stage four cancer and, and has a time on his life. Really, we all have a time in our life, but to hear it from a doctor, boy, your, your box of life starts to fall apart, and you're really only allowing on your best day 5% to question your worldview, but when something like that happens, your box starts to fall apart. You know, it's when your relationship, whether a marital one or a dating one, starts to fall apart. It's when finances don't work out the way you thought they were, and you go bankrupt, and you can see the story basically when our lives start to fall apart, it's where we find this prodigal son at this pig pen, longing to be fed, hungry, and it says, and he came to his senses. In some ways, it's a beautiful phrase, isn't it? Because it's where you realize, I need him. The box I've formed for my life, the, the way I've framed about God and the li in life and the world and, and how I view everything has fallen apart. I need him. I need to go back home. And that was the invitation last week, that we all are invited to this reunion as he calls us back home. But this morning, I want to focus on the older brother. I said it to you last week, and I'll say it again. In this story, this is probably where I felt most of my conviction. Now, this is not to say that I've not wandered. I think in all in some ways, we said it last week, we normalize prodigal. You don't have to be off with prostitutes and spending your family's money. That's an extreme but when we kind of do life our own way and say, God, I just want something from you. I just want something from you. I'm going to do it my way. You've got to fit my construct of how you should operate. That's, in a sense, like a prodigal. But this morning, this older brother, hopefully to normalize that a little bit this morning and help us understand that we all have a little older brother in us and, and we can tend to lean into the older brother. Let's talk about that for a moment. In Luke chapter 15, we see the beginning of the story. Again, it says Jesus continues. It's his third story. There was a man who had two sons. We've talked about that. The younger said to his father, Father, give me a share of my estate or of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. For his audience at that point, for a younger brother to ask for the share of his estate before his father was dead, we said it last week, is, is, is a shocking part of the story. It would have been like, what? He's doing what? Maybe even more shocking is that the father actually does it. The, the father divides up his property. Now some commentaries will differ, but the younger brother would have a much smaller portion. Some would argue even as less as an eighth. So as much as he wanted something from his father, he got very little. The older brother gets his share too. Notice that the father has no argument. There's no discussion. 
Jesus is, is, has decided to tell the story in a certain way that there is no discussion about this. The Father just does it. I think it says something about the character and nature of the Father that Jesus is trying to share this morning. And that is the first is this, that the Father gives everything. The Father gives everything to us. The Father has not withheld anything for us. It's a beautiful picture as we see that the Father won't stop them in their decisions and He's given them what they're asking for. He's given it to Him. He's given Him everything. And we could look in the Scriptures in the Gospel that God, it says that He sacrificed all for us, His only Son. We get this picture. Jesus is just reinforcing actually a story that will unfold later on. Jesus hasn't died yet. He hasn't been crucified yet. And Jesus knows this, this shares a part, a character, a nature of God that they don't even quite understand yet. But this Father gives it all away. Notice that the Father, again, doesn't stop His sons. Can we say this morning that the Father, a great expression of the love of the Father, is that He doesn't stop you. Maybe the beautiful picture of love is freedom. And freedom to choose. And often we debate on why are so many bad things happening. Why isn't God getting involved? Because God doesn't want to just create cookie cutters. He wants you to love him by your choice. That's a beautiful picture of the father this morning we can see. It says that meanwhile though the older son was in the field. The reason this is important this morning for us to understand, if, if we were comparing this morning, if we, we put up here sons and daughters, and, and we were to kind of give our impression of who's a good son or daughter, this son would be propped up as a really good one. We're going to see as he unfolds that he's obeyed everything the Father's asked him to do. That, that he hasn't, he's been loyal, he's been a loyal son. He's worked hard. He's never disobeyed. He's, he's been a very loyal and faithful son. Don't we look this morning and think, gosh, that would be a great son or daughter to have. In some ways, we need this. And I'm not this morning saying that we don't need order and some sort of boundaries in our world to, to shape our kids. In fact, the scriptures say, the Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. We, we need to train our kids. And when we're we're in this journey, especially in our faith, we need some sense of order. The problem is we're going to find that the order, the rules, become more important than the relationship. It says, so when he came near to the house, he hears music and dancing, and so he calls one of the uh, servants and asks, what's going on here? And the brother, the brother says, or the, guy, the servant says, your brother's come home. Your brother's come. Your father's killed this fattened calf, and he's come back safe and sound. Now, why is this important? A fattened calf is, is customary back in Jewish culture, but actually a lot of third worlds still practice this. In fact, the times I've been to Africa, twice has happened, that when we've been invited into a home, right? We've been invited into a home because of us entering into that space and being welcomed, they would slaughter one of their animals to cook, and it happened to be twice a goat. Yes, I've had barbecued goat. It was quite interesting. Um, and so next time we come to your house, I would expect that your dog or cat or something that you would <laughs> offer up to your pastor would be... No, please don't do that. Um, 
That would be disturbing. Someone just told me, though, their daughter was in Togo, and they, they did with guinea pigs. They didn't have goats, so it was guinea pigs. Yeah, disturbing. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, this is customary. Now, to, to level it up to a fattened calf would have been the greatest of sacrifices. It would have been the most prized and uh, very, very honorable and expensive to do. This is important that you see this. This son is just feeling that tension. It says the older brother became angry and refused to go in. Why is the older brother angry? Is it because he didn't get the invitation or the email? He feels late to the party. He couldn't get dressed. He couldn't go shower from working in the field. We're going to get the picture, but he becomes angry. And we see some insight already to older brother. When we start to look and compare to the world and not feel it's just. Isn't that the problem of our world today that we define justice and fairness different? in whatever political circle you're in, that all looks different. I know you probably don't feel this and you feel like everybody's the same, but when was the last time you watched the news and thought, I can't believe they got away with that? I can't believe they get these things and we're good people or good Christians. This brother is angry. He's livid and refuses to go in to the party. Again, Jesus is telling a picture, an illustration, a parable of a a metaphorical picture of the celebration. What's the celebration? Celebration is celebrating with the Father. It's entering in maybe quite possibly heaven. It's entering into this space where the Father says, you are welcome. And the sad part of the story is this brother never goes in. But what does it say about the Father, the nature of the Father again? The Father goes out and pleads with him. That's my second point this morning. My second is the father pursues everyone. He pursues the prodigal as much as he pursues the religiously hypocritical, judgmental right. He pursues them all. Do you realize there's not a person on this planet throughout history that the furious love of God has not chased down to pursue to try to call them back in? To call them back in to celebrate with him? This is a beautiful picture that Jesus is painting about his father. We get this picture, though, and then we see what unfolds as this brother becomes angry, and he answers his father, even though his father has gone out to plead with him. The father, what, ran and pursued the son coming home. He goes out to pull the older brother in, but he answers and shouts, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. Do you think that would change the relationship? Do you think if you were, you were in a relationship with your son or daughter or your spouse, let's say you're sitting in a counseling session, and all of a sudden they shout it out, all these years I've been slaving for you. If I was in a counseling session with Trisha and I shouted, I don't think it would be a good session, right? Because <laughs> what does it speak to? Trisha's shaking her head, no, it wouldn't. Yeah. It says that this son missed something. This son missed the relationship. And for some reason, 
Some reason has duty, obligation, rules, being right as what God owes him something. His father owes him something. He says, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, he can't even call him his brother, this son of yours has squandered your property. With prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for me, for him. This older brother, ironically, like the younger brother, wants something from God, but for a different reason. It's because, God, I'm going to do something for you. You're going to owe me because I'm going to be so good. I'm going to get it so right. I'm going to be the son that you want to just give everything to. I know you're probably not convinced this morning that this is you, so let me paint it in a different way. Let me give you some phrases to start to paint the picture of older brother and how he creeps in. It might be fulfilling the statement or filling it out this way. I perform for God. I do things for God. I've made a deal with God. If I do this, will you do this? How many times have we prayed, God, if, if I can do this for you, I'll just bargain with you, and we try to make deals with God. This is a little bit of the older brother. Or maybe it's self-righteous, and your whole world revolves around being right. Now, I told you last week, and I'll say it again this morning, I confess, this is where I think I struggle most. In this older brother world, because I, I didn't have an extreme prodigal story. I grew up in a home where I was to follow certain rules, but I lost, some, I lost my way. I had a father who was in the Marine Corps, and so I stood at attention, and yes sir, no sir, and I learned something from him, and while it's not his fault, it's how we all view life through the lens of our family origin, how we grew up. I viewed that I needed to please my father. I had to do the right things in order to be in right standing with him. It becomes where we start to think about being right is what we fight for, rather than the relationship. We're in that culture right now where we can't even figure out anybody in the political climate who can just confess being wrong. When was the last time you heard anyone say, forgive me? That was wrong of me to say that. Or I lied. We don't hear that. Older brothers elevate themselves above the sinner. I know that, again, that's not us this morning, but when was the last time you looked on the news and saw a terrorist or saw someone that's murdered or a pedophile something out there that you just said, I'm just a notch above them. I mean, come on, because really, if we were honest, we're not saying we're just like them, are we? We're not saying we're just as broken and just as lost as they are. How many times we say that, we start to elevate ourselves. We create a pecking order of sin. And this is older brother creeping into our lives. We're incapable of receiving grace. What I mean by that is we become people that can't believe that God could love me as broken, as dirty as I am. There's got to be some measure to grace. There's got to be some, some, some rules to grace. He couldn't possibly love me because I know what I think about and what I do, right? If you're sitting in there this, this morning and going, there's no way he could love me. And that's what I love about Romans 5.8. Because it says, while we were yet, what, perfect? While we were yet right? He says, while we were yet, what, sinners. 
Christ died for us. Entitled, God owes me. Come on, you felt that. I remember growing up in, in a Christian school and doing Bible class and, and, and still committed to be a virgin to marriage and it's still that commitment and not being drunk and following all the right rules and then watching friends who said they were Christians partying like crazy all weekend and then going to Bible class and just saying all the words. And you know what I was thinking? God, I'm doing it right. They're not. Don't you owe me something? My family's struggling financially. How come they just seem to have everything and I don't? Come on, do we ever feel that? This is older brother in us. Guilt-driven. Maybe you're not convinced yet, but maybe one of you walked out and thought this, this idea, when I'm good, God loves me. When I'm bad, he loves me a lot less or even hates me. I mean, we even read the scriptures, but the scriptures tell us that God hates the sin. He hates the sin. He hates the sin. But scripture is consistent. He loves the sinner. Rules replace relationship. The rule becomes more important. I mean, think about it. In your, in your marriage relationship or relationships that you have, is it really about looking at each other and saying, have you followed the rules, Trish? Have I followed the rules? So we're good, right? I haven't, I haven't gone over, over the line, right? So we're good. I mean, we realize that relationships are not about rules. Relationships definitely have an investment to them of guidelines we know that will invest in a relationship and things that will take from the relationship. If I break a covenant of trust by committing adultery, by, by pursuing that, that breaks, that breaks a, a, a guideline of, of investing in this covenant, but it doesn't define the relationship. Rules don't define relationships. I follow those because I love Trish. I follow the things that God's called us to be and do because I love him, not because they define my identity. Judgmental. There's a limit to grace. We just said that. Becomes religiously lost. It's really another word that you've heard before. It's legalism. What is legalism? Uh, a secular teacher who doesn't know God, Mr. Patton, American literature teacher, said it this way, religion is a system of beliefs or a moral code of conduct that judges, qualifies or disqualifies a person based on their adherence and obedience to certain codes, rules, laws, traditions, or the performance of re required acts. You know what scares me about Green Bay? We have a lot of religious people. We, we might have one of the densest population of religious people anywhere that I've seen. But they're religiously lost because they don't have relationship. They've been convinced that it's the code of what to do and what not to do. They've replaced the relationship with a set of rules. Let me, let me explain it this way. Uh, Tim Keller says that legalism is looking to something besides Jesus Christ in order to be acceptable and clean before God. Now, I want to make a couple statements. So we're talking about the older brother. Now, what I have found in my journey with working with Christians is often if you have a radical prodigal story, 
you know, addiction and, and you know, squandering the money. And you're, you're a radical story. You know what I find often? That there is a rush to the other extreme, often to create a structure of control because I'm afraid of myself. I need the rules. It's not bad. But let me show you what begins to happen. You create this ironclad rule system. Your box becomes a set of rules, and you fit those. You fit those rules, and so you fit nicely into the rules. The problem is, if we were to take, like, in case of, all right, I'm fitting the rules because I've not murdered anybody. And just a confession this morning, an honest one as pastor, I have not killed anybody. The problem is, as I read the gospel and I read the scriptures, it's, it gets a little bit deeper than just the act of murder, Right? It gets to, actually, I'm not supposed to yell or have an anger or uh, have this sense of, of fury towards anyone. And so the box gets a little less reinforced, but it gets a little smaller, and the rule system gets smaller. But then as I read the Gospels and I read more, I start to find out that, that Jesus will even say that if I've said a curse word at somebody or, or you know... They're driving by, and maybe I don't say a word, but I use my fingers to say a word, right? This, this is a form of, of the hatred and the intent to harm somebody, and so my box gets smaller. I still fit that box, but you can see legalism, as we start to go down this slippery slope, gets worse and worse and worse. And then, the most shabby of all, I start to realize that Jesus actually will say, if you even thought it. Boom. The, the whole construct falls apart. I realize I can't even, I don't even fit my rule system, and I have failed my rule system. The sad part is often legalism never gets there because they put up a, a facade, and there becomes this duality. There becomes this inner world that lives in reality that they're a hypocrite, but they pretend and put on the face of having it all right. You know what saddens me so much about church culture? Is that I think we have prodigals walking in feeling like they have to be an older brother. They have to have it all right. Don't we project that? Having the rules right, having it all figured out right? Now friends, again, I'm not saying this morning, hey church, you've gotten permission to break all the rules because Jesus will love you anyway. Paul says don't do that. But when the rules become the replacement for relationship, that is a false religion. Friends, that is what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were doing. They had over 632 different laws. How many steps, what to eat, what to, to, to look at, what not to look at. They had all of those. Listen Colossians, Paul says it to the church. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why? As though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have, been, have to do with things that are detestable to perish with use, are based on mere human commands and teachings. The whole book, the letter of Galatians, is about legalism. Quit pointing at everyone else to follow the rules. The older brother. The older brother is all about creating a facade of religious rightness that is as lost and maybe more so than the prodigal. 
Give me two people to work with in, in, in the world. Give me two people, and the people that I enjoy most are working with prodigals. Why? Because it's out there. Yep, I don't like God. I just want stuff from God, and this is who I am. At least I get it. At least they're honest about it. The ones that struggle with is this religious right. When we start to put up being right, that same American literature teacher, Mr. Patton, says it this way. The difference between Christianity and every other faith in the world is that all other religions are about man trying to reach God, to earn favor by being right. But Christianity is about God reaching down to man. It's, it's the album cover that they just put on the, on the worship album they're putting out. It's, it's what Molly said a few weeks ago. It's this idea that the beauty of knowing Jesus, that he reaches down to us. It's not about us being right or wrong. Verse 31, the father's response to this elder brother, my son. Oh, my son, the father said, you're always with me. Think about this for a moment. This elder son has missed the very promise, the very gift in front of him, and it's his father. Do you recognize that this son has the estate and owns it? This father is in poverty now and basically lives in his home, but his sons own it. His elder son owns the largest portion of it. The younger son squandered it. You are always with me. And everything I have is yours, literally. But we had to celebrate. Can you hear the father says, I can't help myself. I can't help myself. I can't help myself, but when my sons come home, when they come in to celebrate, when, I, when they move away from rules and doing things for me or just trying to get things from me, when they move away from these things and they, they reach out to grab my hand that I'm reaching down to him, I have to celebrate and be glad this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The Father's inviting you. He's not only given you everything, he not only pursues everyone, he is inviting you. He is inviting you wherever you're at this morning. If you are someone who's created a, a construct of right and wrong, and it's your way or the highway, and you, you said everybody has to fit this box, he is inviting you this morning to let it go. If you're a prodigal this morning, wandering, trying just to get something from God, in, in the areas of life trying to find peace and happiness, relationship and impact, and you're finding yourself lost, he's inviting you home. Let me ask you a question this morning. Is God's grace enough if you're not right this morning? If you're an older brother, and some of that seeped in, what happens if you have it wrong? What happens if you're not fully right? Is God's grace enough for your wrongness, for your sin, for your rebellion? I think it is. I think it is. Are you committed to a religion or relationship this morning? Now friends, let's not cast off denominations and saying that's religion. 
because friends, we can be just as religiously in the older brother's seat here at Community Church because you find yourself in a pattern. And you create your own box, non-denominational box, and you create your right and wrong and how you should behave. And friends, the scary part of this story is this older brother does not come to his senses. Why? Religious, religion and religiously lost are dangerous because they give us the picture that we have it all together. They give others the picture we have it all together. We try to convince ourselves that we have it all together. The Father in heaven is furiously chasing after you, whether you're prodigal or older brother. This morning we get this great privilege to respond to the invitation that he has for all of us. And we get to respond in two different ways. One is we get to celebrate with sons and daughters that, that come home. We get to celebrate with those people as they enter into baptism. But some of you, it's, you're gonna, your response is just to answer the call to be baptized this morning. And we know we have a baptism class and some people take that, but many of you don't. And you're feeling your heart racing in the Holy Spirit because, friends, Jesus said, go. And make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What does baptism mean? Baptism is this. It's representative of something. You might have been baptized as an infant, and the scripture does not mention this. It's, it's more about uh, an honoring or a dedication of a son or daughter, and it is a great thing. It's not discounting any of that. It's because your father, your mother, your parents wanted you to know Jesus. But friends, this morning we know the gospel says you have to make that choice. Our spiritual lives and our relationship with God is not hereditary. It does not come from passing down from a family name. And so because of that, it's your choice. And when it's your choice, then the scripture says, once you've made that choice, step into the water because it means you've died under the water with Christ. You are no longer on the throne of your life with your rules and your boxes and your way. You are saying, God, you're now in charge. And it is an outward expression of an inward reality. It's never meant to be uh, an outward expression. It's never, and never meant to be a, a, a something that you do that fixes you on the inside. It really is a response to saying, God, I realize the box of my life, whether younger brother or older brother has fallen apart, I need your grace. Friends, that's a beautiful invitation to respond to this morning. Some of you this morning need to step out and be baptized. You've never done that. You've never done that. And, and the Father in heaven is furiously chasing after you this morning, saying, Come. My grace is enough, no matter how ugly you are on the inside. My grace is enough, no matter how wrong you get it. My grace is enough. Friends, we love baptism around here for this. The team's up here, and some of you are scheduled, so we're going to stand to our feet. Um, would you stand? We celebrate this together, and if you feel led, come down. Elders will talk to you. They'll give you a T-shirt, and, and we will celebrate with you your response to the invitation. Father in heaven, we celebrate your furious love and the invitation to celebrate with you this morning. We do that together. In Jesus' name, everyone said... Let's worship together.